This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, offering members-only discounts that can save you thousands of dollars a year. Find out more at carp.ca. Good afternoon. Welcome to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Bob Komsik for Libby's Nimer. As Canadians and other foreign nationals look to leave the Middle East, look who's gone over to help Israel after the terrorist attack. Hi, my name is John Ploker. I'm from Montana, cowboy out there, and I'm currently over here in Israel. And you'll also hear from the artist who designed and hand-sculpted the recently unveiled statue of late Queen Elizabeth. But first... Here are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. Amid recent news that lung cancer rates have fallen about 4% a year in Canada since 2015, new American guidelines recommend lung cancer screening begin at 50. Even if you haven't touched a cigarette in decades, Americans could be due for an annual lung cancer screening based on new recommendations From the American Cancer Society, the agency says adults 50 to 80 who currently smoke or used to smoke the equivalent of a pack a day for 20 years should get an annual CT scan no matter how long ago they quit. This new criteria impacts about 5 million more adults. Previous guidelines said people no longer needed annual cancer screening if it had been 15 years since they quit. One-third of the world's population might be at risk of smartphone addiction. A new Canadian study finds women and people in parts of Asia are more likely to report problematic use that tends to decline with age, but there are exceptions. Researchers say women tend to use their phones more for social purposes, which could eventually become habitual, and that women also have higher rates of depression and anxiety, and the phone could be a coping mechanism. Asia reported the highest scores, those in Europe had the lowest, and Canada ranks right in the middle. After pressure from migrant parents, an Anne Frank daycare center in northeastern Germany is being renamed for diversity reasons. The kindergarten has been named after the Jewish girl for 53 years, but parents launched a petition to change it because they find it hard to explain Frank's significance to their children. The International Auschwitz Committee says if people are willing to dismiss one's own history so carelessly and if Anne Frank's name is perceived as unsuitable in public space, one can only become fearful when it comes to the culture of remembrance in our country. More is not always better when it comes to drinking water. Case in point, Brooke Shields' recent health scare. The 58-year-old former actress and child model suffered a grand mal seizure after consuming too much, causing her sodium levels to drop. Overhydration, also known as water toxicity, can cause seizures with the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention advising drinking no more than 13 cups of water each day and consuming less than a liter per hour. 
hiring managers stateside seeing an uptick in older workers applying for entry-level jobs compared to just three years ago. Recent survey found finances are the most common reason for returning to the workplace. The majority of hiring managers say they prefer older workers because they work hard, show up on time, and get along with others. I run all year round. I train for the marathon from July 1st until the marathon weekend. Connie Brown is a legend among the New York City running community. A week ago, on her 80th birthday, she ran in her 44th consecutive race, setting a record, and she has no plans of stopping yet. She ran her first race back in 1978. I'll see y'all this Thanksgiving. Dolly Parton will perform some of her biggest hits at this year's Salvation Army's Red Kettle Kickoff Halftime Show during the Dallas Cowboys Thanksgiving Day game this month. The 77-year-old will also perform some new music from her Rockstar album to be released next week. The Cowboys Thanksgiving Day game has been a tradition for the last 27 years to help raise donations for the Salvation Army's Red Kettle Campaign. I'm Bob Comsick, and those are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. Israel is receiving help of all kinds from all corners of the world and from all types of organizations, such as American humanitarian group Hayovel, whose volunteers include cowboys. The operations director is Joshua Waller. You know, we've been uh, working here in this area of Judea and Samaria. The, you know, the, typically the world knows this area as, as the West Bank. Uh, for anybody that uh, has ever read the Bible, you never find that the region mentioned in those terms. The, this area is the areas of Judea and Samaria. So we've been working here in this region for about 20 years now and uh, just helping the farms. We bring three to 500 volunteers here every year to help the farmers to, to grow and, and, uh, and be successful here. Uh, October 7th happened and this changed everything. The farmers here, many, many, many of the farmers were called up to reserve duties. Their farms were left vacant and uh, we have a huge uh, task here to keep these farms working uh, as well as the communities are, are, are very, uh, they're in huge need of supplies, uh, you know, basic, you know, security supplies to secure their safety in this region is, is so vitally important. Uh, so really, we the operation, we opened an operation called Operation Etai. Uh, Etai after the Bible character, King David's mighty man, who's a non-Jewish man that comes alongside the people of Israel. And we we said, hey, we're a bunch of non-Jews, but we want to see Israel strong. We want to see Israel safe. So we're going to come help the farmers. And we're also going to bring supplies in here to to ensure your safety. To be clear, were you there before the attack in early October or subsequently? Yes, I was here before. I'm the director of operations here for this uh, this operation. But as soon as uh, October 7th happened, we immediately called out to to friends around the, the globe that were interested in coming right away. And that's how Cowboys ended up uh, making their way here. Uh, you know, some of these guys have have uh, one of the Cowboys that came in has 900 bells of hay still on the ground and, and back home. You know, they just dropped everything and they came. And John's one of the guys that that dropped everything and came here as, as soon as he can. And that would be beside you, John Ploker from Montana. Uh, when did you go over? I came this Monday. Um, so, yeah, it was, we've, I've just been here a very short time. You were there uh, earlier, as you uh, pointed out, uh, Joshua. 
We've heard so much about that day. What were you doing then? And could you believe what was going on? Well, honestly, uh, the day the attack happened was uh, was a holiday here in Israel. And uh, everybody was just celebrating and, and taking in the holiday. Uh, and of course, that quickly ended with the attack uh, early morning on the day of the holiday. Everything changed here immediately. It's a very, very intense time. And October 7th uh, was just a huge, uh, no one ever believed that was even possible. Israel is a very strong military and a very strong security force here. And to see that happen there in the South uh, was, was, an, was an impossible situation. There's, like I said, Hamas and 22 other terror organizations that have all vowed to destroy uh, Jewish presence, not only from this area, but all of Israel. Uh, so the area is here is, is a very intense situation. John, if we can ask you, granted, you've only been there a matter of days. What uh, what are you up to? What are you doing? How are you helping out? Some of the tasks that we've already been working on are putting in some security roads around in the hills here and around some of the communities in the local area. Uh, we've been working on a warehouse to store all these supplies that we're bringing in for the communities. Uh, we've also today we were out in the field uh, harvesting zucchini and out there um, weeding and, and just helping out on the farm where there's a lack of workers. Is this the first time you've gone over to help? No, uh, this uh, the beginning of this year, like in January, would have been my first time in Israel. What made you decide to join the humanitarian organization, Ayovel? Um, well, I, I very much appreciate what Josh is doing here, what Joshua is doing and, and their team. Uh, they're very trustworthy. They're grassroots, just real people. Um, and I, I, since I was, I didn't know them before I came this uh, January, but I've grown to love them. And I know that what they're doing here is important. They have a part for the Jewish people and um, they're actually, they're actually out there in the communities getting it where it needs to go, you know? And so when he called, um, he called and said that they needed help and that I was on his list for some of the guys to come. Um, it was just an easy answer. Um, I, I've met a point in life where I am able to do that. I was able to, um, I, ha- I just pushed off my work to other people and they're, they're covering for me back home. And uh, I was able to come. Joshua, just wondering, how do the locals, obviously they appreciate what you're doing, do they uh, give you a handle, uh, you know, a term or terms of endearment, how they refer to you guys? You know, it's uh, it is amazing to see the response of the Jewish community here, uh, especially right now, more than ever. Everyone is reaching out saying thank you. Thank you so much. You know, the Jewish people feel very alone right now, uh, especially with anti-Semitism, you know, not only the, the brutal massacre here in Israel and the constant threats of violence here, uh, but also abroad, the Jewish people are facing onslaughts against them everywhere, from London to New York to to, to L.A. Uh, you know, we're seeing brutal things happening, and the Jewish community is is very frightened right now uh, across the globe due to the rise of anti-Semitism and the, and the hatred of Jews that we're seeing. And so, to have people come across the world, especially these uh, you know farmers and and people, real real people that are connected to the land, uh, it's providing an amazing amount of strength. Everyone we see. Is just so heartfelt. Thank you. Thank you for coming. Thank you for being with us. Thank you for encouraging us. Thank you for helping us in this in this big time of need. 
Joshua Waller, Operations Director of Hayavel, an American humanitarian organization, and one of the volunteers over there, along with Joshua and many others, uh, John Ploker, a builder, cowboy from Montana. want to thank you for the time you're taking away from your important work to share this effort by yourselves with others around the world and our listeners. I'll tell you my little bit of Hebrew I'm learning. It's Am Israel Chai. And what's the translation, John? Am Israel Chai, the people of Israel live. I'm Bob Kopsick, and this is the Zoomer Week in Review. Coming up, the sculptor of the latest statue at Queen's Park. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP. Canada's largest and most influential association fighting for the interests of Canadians as we age. Find out more at carp.ca. Following years of delay, the bronze sculpture of the late Queen Elizabeth is finally on public display. Joining a statue of her great-great-grandmother, Queen Victoria, elsewhere on the grounds of the legislature, also known as Queen's Park. The woman behind the work, artist Ruth Abernethy. There is nothing spontaneous about making large things in bronze. I got the call to artists in July of 2015, with the first deadline that fall. Uh, the maquette was made that winter. Uh, when I was told I was one of two finalists, and I was selected as the commission winner in April of 2016. And at that point, it was hoped that they could get the thing completed for Canada Day 2017, Canada 150, which in fact wasn't realizable when all was said and done. So <laughs> uh, we pressed forward and uh, reconfigured the project as we went. So you began it, what, yourself, 2016? Well, when I say began, we start with the research. We went right. to Ottawa and documented the throne. And the last of the sculpting was done into January and February of the next year. You talked about uh, the throne. Of course, you're talking about how the late queen is depicted and that being on the throne in the Senate during a particular occasion, correct? Yes. I did not know there was a throne of Canada when I started this, but there is, of course. And uh, to have the Queen enthroned, she is, of course, the monarch of Ontario, but I, I do come at things from a, from a more a national footprint. And the throne of Canada is in the Senate chamber, as that's its natural habitat, and it's in the Senate chamber. Only the Queen and the Governor-General can sit in it, but the throne itself is eight feet tall, so, of course, at life and a half, it is 12 feet tall. And quite a quite an auspicious chair, you know, but very welcoming. It was I've seen church chairs with more attitude, you know. It was really quite friendly, <laughs> and uh, our documentation revealed that there was a, a quite a few points of damage on it, and it is out now being refurbished. What made you say this is the way I want the late queen depicted? The queen has had a very public life, and with a lifetime of public events and public exposures, it seemed ludicrous to me to, to, an in, to be inventing a composition. You know, uh, this, this is a real moment, and it's a real moment in Canadian history because it's the only time the Queen has ever addressed Canadian Parliament. And that makes it perfect in a career that is long, like Oscar Peterson, 60 years uh, of, of a career, 70 years in the Queen's case, uh, you're trying to pick a point 
between young princess and dowager. You know, you want the uh, you want some sense of mature leader, some sense of a monarch with wisdom, and not yet an apple doll. You know, the queen does not have the option to retire. <laughs> and that was a lovely point in 1977, where it is both true, it is well-documented, it has all of the compositional elements that I want in the design, and it's true for the queen. And it was, a, a, I think, an excellent point in her life for her to be represented. At the installation, what about yourself as the sculptor? How did you feel when you saw your work, the end result? Well, I have to say, it was, it was a real pleasure to see the bronze on the stone in situ, because I don't have the option to see that, right? I don't even see the bronze in my studio. That happens at the foundry. The stonework is done independently when we're doing installation. You know, you're getting bits and glimpses around plywood cladding, and the, and the bronze is trussed like a chicken, so you know who it is, but you couldn't take a sensible photograph. Short answer is I'm thrilled. I'm thrilled with the portrait itself, which is why I wanted to do the project in the first place. I simply felt that I could do a gracious uh, reflection of the queen for this purpose. And that was why I wanted to do it, in large part. No, I, I had confidence that I could do a lovely rendering of the Queen. And uh, it's brilliant to see it there at last. And I, having seen it there, I like everything about it. I like the positioning. I like the proportions of the base. I like the slightly contrasting stone to the previous collection. And I like the fact that, in all fairness, it's a modest addition. To Queen's Park, and, and I would laugh, but people don't know how much a bus shelter costs. And in that, <laughs> uh, the cost of bronze had doubled between uh, pre-COVID and post-COVID. So if we were to do it now, it would cost twice as much. I don't suppose people realize that they've got a spectacular bargain on the lawn at Queen's Park, but I'm very pleased with the work, which in the end is my job, and I walk away with a real sense of satisfaction. Renowned Canadian sculptor and artist Ruth Abernethy, who designed and hand-sculpted the new statue of the late Queen Elizabeth, which you can see on the grounds of Queen's Park. And that brings us to the end of this week's edition of the Zoomer Week in Review. I'm Bob Komsik for Libby Zneimer. Thanks for joining me. Be sure to come back next week to stay up to date with all things Zoomer worldwide. Zoomer Week in Review is produced by Zeev Huddy, Christine Ross, and Paul Thomas. Technical producer, Justin Eacock. Executive producer, Moses Neimer. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.